Five cats, two pussies. This is Ronnie. And this is Lindsay. And this is episode 18. Totally, 18. But this is episode number two. Yeah! <laughs> We're super excited to do another episode for everyone in honor of International Women's Day this week. And before we get into what our awesome topic for today is going to be, Lindsay... I know you're getting over cold. How are you feeling? Yeah, I had the plague this week. Um, I'm I'm actually much better, but I still have this lingering cough. So all right, so we're gonna take coffee. Yeah, away in the background. Take cough breaks. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I I want to ask you uh, a personal question. Okay. When do you get your period? (sighs) I don't know. I don't really like pay too much attention Uh. to it. I think I had mine like. Mm, is it coming up last week oh that's your uh, this is your fault it might be my fault <laughs> yeah. yeah i have mine last week yeah. i think so i woke up this morning with a surprise period and now i'm all crampy mm. and blech. yeah <laughs> surprise <laughs> uh yeah i i think i think i'm getting closer and closer to your date and that makes me thrilled <laughs> it used to be like clockwork we're gonna have no some, more <laughs> some fun recordings coming up <laughs> awesome it's gonna be so many pheromones in the air <laughs> Speaking of pheromones in the air, uh, I did a little teaser on Instagram this week. If you want to check out our Instagram, it is 5C2P pod on the old gram. But I dropped a photo of uh, Django and Nimbus who were spooning. Nimbus is always little spoon. Or sorry, Django is always little spoon uh, when they spoon. And I promised that I would tell the the story of why they are BFFs, which is a pretty short story, but uh, that's that's our cat story for the week. So uh, Nimbus and Django were both strays, and I'll tell a full Nimbus story some other time. This is sort of how they came to be together, uh, but there's a... Uh, cat adoption society here in the Boston, Massachusetts area called Black Cat Society. And they had a, a, a foster home for kitties. And one of their uh, foster people found a little black kitten outside and lowered it into his back porch. The kitten wouldn't really come any farther into the house, no. uh, but was really into the back porch. And they felt like he needed like somebody to socialize with. So uh, this particular foster parent also took Nimbus. So Nimbus and Django ended up being best buds and getting to know each other. And I think Django thinks Floof, the Nimbus, is his mom. <laughs> because uh, he, I, I have finally witnessed Django bathing himself. But up until this past week, I had never seen him actually do that. And if he needs anything, he cries. And if he's unhappy, if he's cold, if he can't find his toy, if he needs a bath, he'll cry. And he wants Nimbus is who he wants. And Nimbus <laughs> will like run over, snuggle him, lick his forehead for him, and basically be like, it's okay, buddy. That is the cutest thing ever. Yeah. And 
and Django is a pretty independent little fella now, but I would say every other day I'll catch the two of them spooning or sleeping on top of each other because Django thinks he's still like three pounds and not like 12 pounds and will just climb up on top of Nimbus and sleep right on top of him. Well, everybody needs their mom once in a while, even though they're grown. So they're, they're BFFs. They came together. We wanted to adopt Django, and they were like, well, if you take this one, too. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, they've they've been pretty much inseparable since, uh, f- I would say Floof was about six months and maybe a little more, and Django was about four months or a little less. Oh, so, so cute. Yeah. I love that story. And they're best friends. I love it. If you want to share a story with us on your best friends, uh, be they feline or not, you can always drop us a line at 5C2Ppod at uh, Gmail or send us a DM on Instagram. We will like it. We will respond. Um, And we have a really great episode today. I'm so excited. I am so excited about this episode, too. We are going to induct our first five pussies into our pussy hall of fame (laughs) totally (laughs) so we'll be right back (laughs) with our first five choices for our pussy hall of fame in just a minute see you soon witches it's candle time I think we've decided that since we just can't really figure out... I almost lit the whole box of matches on fire. Oh, my God, dude. (laughs) Since we can't figure out how to remember to do it during our intros like we want to, it's just going to have to be when we remember that we forgot to do it during our intro. So, here we go. Candle lit. Awesome. You know, our ritual is whatever you make it, whenever you make it to happen. So, (laughs) that's our ritual. (laughs) Well... (laughs) <laughs> here we are to our inaugural pussy hall of fame inductees for 2020 i'm so excited about this <laughs> pussy number one pussy number one Lindsay's grandma grandma, grandma. <laughs> um i'm just gonna tell the grandma story that we sort of heard growing up a lot okay um, and it's kind of a cool one. It's like, I don't really hear a lot of grandma stories like this. So my grandma, this is my mother's mother. Um, she was born in Korea in Seoul and she was born to a, a wealthy family. I don't know where they got their money from. That's, I, it's actually never something I really asked. Um, but they were very wealthy and they lived in Seoul and this was before the war. So, like wealthy families did back then, she eventually had an arranged marriage. And they had never met before, and these two people got married. He lived in a town in what is now North Korea, but it was just Korea then. Um, so, she, she went to live with him and his family, and the story goes that they were both so beautiful that they fell in love immediately. Aww. And they had two daughters. Now, his family had a curse on the men in the yeah uh where they would each die before i think the age was like 23 
Oh, Jesus. So Wow. Yeah. They yeah, weren't even really men. Up. No, no. <laughs> um, I think that's what the age was. I couldn't really remember. And I asked my mother, and she couldn't really remember either. Uh, but they had the two daughters, and he told my grandmother before he died. He did die before whatever age it was. Holy shit. He from told from her, what? Not to derail, but from what? I'm not sure. Oh. And that's even more mysterious. Yeah. My mom might know. <laughs> I didn't ask her. She, yeah, I'm not sure. So he told her before they died how happy he was that they had daughters instead of sons. Aww. <laughs> so fast forward, and the war comes. They lost everything. Um, they lost the house. They lost the money. Everything was gone. So from this small town, and I'm not sure how far away it was from Seoul, she had her two daughters, my two oldest uh, aunts, and she took them and walked from this town back to Seoul. Wow. Through this war. She dressed her daughters like boys so that they wouldn't be raped by the soldiers. And she sewed whatever jewelry or, or possessions she had into her clothing so that they wouldn't be stolen. And she got back to Seoul eventually to her family. Um, by the time she got back there, um, I believe her family had lost a lot too. Like they didn't really have anything anymore, uh, but they were too proud to do any work. Oh wow! They, I mean, they had grown up with servants their sure. entire life. So my grandmother made uh, Korean pancakes and sold them in the street to help her and her family survive. Eventually, she met um, an American soldier and got married and moved to, I don't know where they moved after that. I'm not sure if they moved directly to the U.S. because I know that they spent some time in Germany, but uh, eventually ended up here, and here I am. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Your, what's your grandmother's name? Her name was Hyun Suk. And what did you call her? Grandma, or is there like a more formalized I name? I called her grandma. Cool. Yeah. My mom called her mom, or Oma is the yeah. other like thing that sometimes she would call her. She sounds like a total fucking badass. She was a badass, dude. She wa I mean, she wasn't like a badass grandma. She was like your typical grandma. Sure. But I think that's even, like, to me, that's even more awesome that she had, like, she was brave. She had emotional fortitude. She was protective. Yeah. She was smart. She was hardworking and determined. She, like, through all of that, she still, like, fell in love again. Yeah. And then on top of all that, she still got to be, like, uh, like a regular grandma, not a like, I don't, not, I don't know, not a like a hard ass grandma or like, you know, a put the like holy terror in you grandma. Just now, I get to be grandma. Yeah, no, yeah, she was very good to us, very good to us for sure. Engineer Dan, do you have a question? What's a Korean pancake? <laughs> <laughs> Engineer Dan wants to know what a Korean pancake is. Of course he does. <laughs> <laughs> so they're made from mung beans um and i don't I, like I, I can't recall what else she put in it maybe like green onion or something like that but yeah it's kind of like a scallion pancake made from mung beans cool yeah wow so our first ever inductee into the pussy fall of pussy hall of fame Lindsay's grandma grandma <laughs> I I feel I feel honored like on her behalf. <laughs> so I think we want to be uh, this is a great time just to take a quick second to say that you know these are 
uh, our Pussy Hall of Fame is going to be an ongoing thing from time to time of women that we feel inspired by. That these are, you know, personal connections for us in some way. Uh, they are all going to be badass women in their own right. And they're all going to be different in some way. So, yeah. Um, yeah. We're going to move right along. Inductee. Pussy number two. Pussy number two. Julia Child. Julia Child. Julia Child. Uh, now, I really want to do this entire thing in her voice. <laughs> so, <laughs> Julia Child was, <laughs> was an affluent woman who has a history. No, can't do it. No. <laughs> she has the most unique voice ever. She it's really so does, good. <laughs> so, I, I feel like uh, this is. A well-known um, TV personality has been the subject of movies and biographies and books. We live here in Somerville, Massachusetts, and her longtime home and now kitchen, um, which is a Smithsonian museum piece now, is just more or less down the road. Yeah. Actually, down the road it's from your road house. From me, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, in Cambridge. Uh, but I want to give like a little, a little history on Julia Child and then talk a little bit about like why she's, why she's such a badass and why she's a badass for me. So, um, so the sort of background, she's, uh, grew up in a very like normal, loving household. Um, she always attributed her first like remarkable food experience being a child uh, the family took a vacation to Tijuana and went to Caesar's restaurant in Tijuana, which is where the Caesar salad was invented. Oh, no shit. Yeah. And that. yeah, she <laughs> had a Caesar salad and was, that was her first, like, this is, this is food. Uh, and, um, so she, she went to school, she got a history degree, she wanted to be a writer. And then in the forties, uh, when the war came, she got a job, um, with what would end up being the CIA as a researcher and a documentarian. And through that job, she traveled overseas and ended up in Europe where um, she met her husband. Now, she and her husband um, basically fell instantly in love. They dated for a little bit, but it, different like biographies and different books that I've read on her, she was like, this is the one. Um, she was very tall, very broad-shouldered, and she wasn't necessarily a tomboy, but she really wasn't, like, overtly feminine. How tall was she? Oh, God, I don't know off the top of my head. Oh. But she was, she was like, above average tall for a woman. Um, so they got married, and um, they actually stayed married until he died just shy of, uh, gosh, I think he was... I think he was, in, like, in his 90s. Um, uh, and she used to actually, when she, like, eventually got famous and was traveling around and working a lot, she would set an alarm to call him at the same time every day so that he would know to, like, be home and be by the phone. She called him every single day. Uh, so they had a very good and loving relationship. And she eventually said um, that he, he was... Like, he was her everything in that he was always there for her from 
like encouraging her to follow her dreams to like being there when she was like i can't finish this damn cookbook <laughs> to like she failed her first chef's exam uh, he chopped onions, he chopped mushrooms, he like did everything that was needed. Um, he actually worked for a long time as a prep person on her cooking shows. Oh, but that's awesome, yeah. dude. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but she, uh, when she was in France, she decided to learn how to cook for a hobby because um, she wasn't like, she had been working and she wasn't like really expected to work because she had gotten married and um, she ended up uh, falling in love with cooking and cooking French food as an American who could cook French food that was seen as this like novelty. So she began hosting dinner parties and that sort of thing for her husband and what her husband was doing. And it evolved into uh, her desire to go to cooking school and like really like learn how to cook because she wanted to take that skill. Eventually, she knew she had to move back to the States, and she wanted to take that skill with her. Uh, she enrolled in Le Cordon Bleu, and, which is a very prestigious cooking school in France at the time. And um, she, she flunked out of uh, the, like, she tried to enroll in, like, a master chef thing. She flunked out. She got put in the, like, cooking for housewives. She Aww. outdid that. She outcooked the shit out of them they put her back into master <laughs> cooking to be a chef so she did that for i think of a, about a year and then she wrote her chef's exam and failed and she had to like go back and try again and she passed on her second time good good for her um so from there um she's still she's still like you know cooking um, but mostly entertaining um, style cooking she wasn't really like she wasn't working in a restaurant or anything like that but she had two friends and they decided we can write a cookbook so they wanted to start uh, they started writing a cookbook and they eventually did publish it um, with some Quebec and Louisette uh, Berthold and the three of them um, published the uh, published their first book called The French Chef um, and it was or sorry Mastering the Art of French Cooking was the, oh, the okay. first book okay um, and I, and it took them several tries to get a publisher as well. Right. So right. It, like three rounds of editing, five different publishers, like just nobody wanted this book of written by three women, three, like two French women, one American woman on how to like take a master class in French cooking for American women. They were just like housewives don't want to cook this shit. And these three women, especially Julia, was like, no, they do. You're wrong, and we're going to fucking publish this. <laughs> I love that. Um, so they also opened their own cooking school in France where they taught other housewives of um, expatriates to expats to, like, cook French food, uh, which was wildly successful. When they eventually moved back to the States, um, she started getting – a little bit of fame around her cookbook and she was going on TV shows and there was one here local to Boston where she did like a morning show and to spice it up she was like nobody wants to hear me just talk about a cookbook <laughs> she's like cooking isn't talking cooking is doing so she took her own bowl three eggs and a whisk and the entire time she gave this interview she whisked eggs and she was like people want to see me do stuff <laughs> uh, it was also a way to keep, she was really nervous, it was a way to keep her like, hands from visibly shaking. Uh, but uh, 
people like wrote in while that was on the air i guess they had something like 27 phone calls of people being like what's she going to make with the eggs <laughs> <laughs> and that's how the french chef which was her first cooking show um, came to be because people wanted to see her actually cook and she had like she has this amazing voice. She has this larger than life personality, but it's so genuine and it's so endearing. And everything that she did after that, she wrote 18 cookbooks. She had eight different TV cooking shows, two cooking specials with Jacques Pepin, who is a very famous French chef. Uh, and through that whole thing, she always believed in the same things. Cooking starts with good, simple ingredients. Cooking should be meant is meant to be an act of love and an act of joy. You should find enjoyment in making and sharing food. And anyone can do this if you really love it. And it should be like shared and not um, and not sort of hid away from from everyday people. Um, so the other thing that I really loved is a bunch of the quotes that like pop up, especially on like uh, inexpensive uh, toll painted art stuff um, that pop up from time to time. And they're usually the ones that are like, um, I like cooking with wine. Sometimes I even like put it in the food kind of thing. That's her <laughs> quote. That's her original quote. It sounds like a Julia <laughs> Child quote. Um, some of the other ones that I loved were uh, if it's so beautiful um, that it's art, you know that somebody's fingers have been all over it, which is just true and gross. <laughs> um, the only time to eat diet food is when you're cooking steak and or waiting for your steak to cook. Um, and then the one that really resonated is find something that you're passionate about and keep tremendously interested in it. So Julia Child, inductee number two, because she never gave up. She was her own person, and she kept true to what she believed in the entire time. She inspired so many people. I remember the first time I saw her was on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. She oh, made, really? Yeah, she made spaghetti. <laughs> uh, I actually rewatched the clip today, uh, but she made spaghetti with Mr. Rogers. She was a force for sure. Yeah. And circling back to her height, uh, engineer Dan did some quick internet research for us, and she was six foot two. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> she also, um, I, I remember reading one time this uh, story that while she was in cooking school, uh, they were going like foraging for mushrooms or something like that in the countryside, and she was the only woman to show up in her husband's pants, work boots, and one of his like button down like work shirts. Yes. All the other women showed up dressed in like femme clothes and heels that was correct for the time and uh and she was like well that's silly we're we're like going to like look for mushrooms right? kind of thing we're going so, to go play in the dirt and so yeah she <laughs> she always looked her best on tv and interviews and that sort of thing but her like sort of work shirt style was always also like practical she wanted to be comfortable and they didn't make a lot of clothes for women in her size so she right. she tailored and adopted a lot of her husband's stuff Julia Child, man. Such a cool lady. So cool. Her, like, original to herself the whole time. All right. Inductee number three. Lover or hater? Something that means, uh, someone that means something to both of us. We've got Courtney Love. Courtney Love. <laughs> so, uh, I've read more this week on Courtney Love than I have ever read in my entire life. And I'm, like now 
extra fascinated. Uh, she is a truly, in my opinion, self-made woman. Absolutely, dude. And I think a lot of people are going to be like, well, she has Kurt Cobain and Kurt Cobain's fame and Kurt Cobain's money and blah, 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 blah. That woman started with nothing at the age of 16 and worked her fucking tits off. She did, dude. And she had the drive to get to where she is now. Yeah. She was a hot mess for years. We're all hot messes for years. We are. And that's the (laughs) point. Women are messy. Women are imperfect. Women make mistakes. They do stupid things. Everybody does. But she did it all unapologetic, unapologetically, and she still does. Absolutely. So she, uh, in her teens, she wanted to be independent, and she wanted to be financially um, free from her family. Mm-hmm. And so she started stripping. Uh, she lied about her age and started stripping when she was 16 and took the name Courtney Love and then eventually legally changed her name. But um, she went from like there to uh, she did some traveling. She stripped in other countries. She like got herself in some trouble, went to Anchorage for like three months to like clear her head. Uh, <laughs> and she's like, I, I love that she through all of these struggles and trials in her life she's always found a way to pull herself out of it she's always seemed very sort of self-aware to me in that whether it was I need to like remove myself from this situation or I need to go to rehab or I need to stop giving a fuck what other people think or you know like or you know being a famous musician also comes with these prices so I'll make music when I want to make music kind of thing like whatever it is I think she's very calculated and very self-aware absolutely I read something with that where she was talking about how she wanted to be the best guitar player in the world but she's just way too lazy a person yeah (laughs) which I (laughs) I I totally get man there's a lot of things I want to do but I am way too lazy to do them absolutely she started her band whole with an ad in a paper in Seattle and uh, or Port- Portland or Seattle, can't remember right in a second. Uh, but I thought she was in Olympia. But she basically Maybe said, Seattle. "I want to be in a band," and put an ad out, and that's how a Hole was formed. Uh, she didn't know what she was doing. They didn't know what they were doing, and they just sort yeah. of all came together in a true garage band. Yeah. Um, she's an actress. She's been in a ton of movies. She actually started in movies. She was in uh, a Sid and Nancy movie before she was in Hole, like well before she was in Hole. Oh, yeah. I think she tried out for the Mickey Mouse Club, too, when she was a kid. She did. But she, she read a Sylvia Plath poem yes. about, about incest, yep. and they didn't, they didn't want her. <laughs> she, um, she, I remember she's also asked about like fashion and style, because she does have a very unique look, and she always She absolutely has. does. And she is actually, if you look back, um, she can be attributed, before Kelvin Klein made it famous, with the like wearing a a slip as a dress. Oh yeah. She was like doing that before it became a fashion thing. Yeah, she yeah, made yeah. that cool. Uh, so all of the like all of the like little like spaghetti strap slip-esque dresses that are back in style now, she was doing that in 1990. So much 90s style is coming back these yeah, days. Yeah, I mean I bleached my hair in the 2000s to look like Courtney Love. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I bleached it with the purpose of growing it out so that I'd have roots. And I remember somebody one time told me I looked like a hot mess like Courtney Love, and I was so happy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I think 
this one was like really important to both of us uh, because because she is controversial because she says what's on her mind even if it's not polite even if it makes people uncomfortable even if it's ugly if she like believes in it she'll say it and she was uh she was actually cut out of like a big marketing agency in Hollywood because she's one of the first people before me to to say you know what are like what advice would you give to somebody in Hollywood and I forget what the other two things were. They were like pretty non-consequential. But the third thing she said, she even said before she let it out was, I'm probably going to get blacklisted for this, but don't be alone in a hotel room with Harvey Weinstein. If he invites you to a, to a party at whatever hotel it was, don't fucking go. <laughs> and she said, and- she, she since said like she never, she was never a victim of his, but I think especially in the light of the recent victory um, that we've had in that scumbag getting actual prison time, that uh, it's important to recognize when people are saying things that are ugly and that are uncomfortable to hear, that there is like a, a measure of truth to those. Yeah, dude, absolutely. So, absolutely. Courtney Love, we love your music, we love your fashion. Yeah. We love you as a person and a personality more than anything. I mean, what teenage girl in the 90s didn't listen to Violet on Oh repeat? my god. Yeah. I did. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> and the sky was all violets. I think like there's also another quote that she wants to give every little girl a guitar and teach them how to scream or something like that. Yeah, and, and that was like what really like resonated and still resonates with me. It's just like, she was fucking angry and like, she spent a lot of her life being angry. She's a Buddhist now and she's, you know, I think she's found a measure of peace and how to live her life. That's, you know, in accordance to what she's looking for. But I love that she, she never gave up. And she just like she just kept fucking going. No matter how dark things got, she like carved her own space and just fucking kept on keeping on. Yep. To pussy number three. Pussy number three. Courtney Love. Courtney Love. <laughs> All right. We're gonna take <laughs> We're gonna take a we're gonna take a quick pee break before we Come on back with pussies number four and five. So if you're listening right along, this is a great time to re-up your bevy, grab your rollies, go take a pee break. Think about who would you induct into the Pussy Hall of Fame. We'll be back in a second with two more. See you soon, witches. All right, we are back to our nominees inductees of the pussy hall of fame that's hard to say and what kind of award show would it be if we weren't getting a little sauced on the way dude exactly <laughs> exactly got ourselves a little a whiskey nip yeah we're gonna drink some jim beam nips today like the classy folks we are cheers cheers clink. with our flat little plastic <laughs> cheers jim clink, clink. Beam nips. <laughs> I hope that you could hear the glugging, the glugging in the mics. Ugh. It's best if you try not to taste it, I found. I've been, <laughs> I've been drinking these a lot lately because Ugh. they're so cheap, and you just have to like <laughs> open up your mouth and dump it down your throat without letting it oh. hit your tongue. 
Well, that hit all of my mouth, and that is the first time I've ever drank a nip from a bottle. (laughs) 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 Woof. Well, that burned all the way down, and I feel like it was appropriate for our next inductee. A brewster, brew brew person, whatever. A alewife? Yeah. Oh, I like that. An alewife in her <laughs> in her own right. But uh this particular inductee used to live on what is now the punk rock venue, the underground in Camden, England. We have Jenny Bingham. Jenny Bingham. Jenny Bingham. Uh, so Jenny Bingham, Jenny motherfucking Bingham. So I found out that Jenny Bingham existed through my favorite musician, Frank Turner. Uh, if you have not listened to Frank Turner's podcast series on um, all of the different folks that he sings about in his album, No Man's Land, I highly recommend doing that. It's fucking awesome. What's I learned so much. called? It's called like No Man's Land or oh. something like that. I don't oh. know. If you Google, yeah, if you Google No Man's Land and podcast, it'll come up. It's on Spotify. Uh, but it's fucking awesome. And uh, where I started with all of this is Jenny Bingham uh, was a famous witch in Camden or what used to be known as Kentish Town. Uh, so she was the shrew of Kentish Town, uh, Mother Damnable and uh, Mother Redcap. Now, Mother Redcap is a generic term for witches. Um, that was really popular in and around, especially England and, and Great Britain in sort of in general. And uh, that's actually like a folklore archetype that then like streamed into Little Red Riding Hood, which is a whole other episode in oh, and of itself. Oh, dear. Yeah. yeah. But it was like an old crone um, that was a herbalist or a fortune teller would be known as Mother Redcap. Did they wear a red cap? I'm, uh, we're going to save that. We're going to like sort of g- dovetail that into another episode where I can do a lot more research specifically okay. on that. All right. But she was the Shrew of Kentish Town. Now she was uh, the daughter of a brickmaker and peddler. And um, her parents were actually tried and hung for witchcraft after the death of a quote unquote young maiden. Oh, um, shit. Yeah. So I don't really know a lot of like what happened there because this all happened in um, in the 17th century, century. So around like the 1630s, maybe, but in the early half of the 1600s. And so there's not a lot of records. And what we do have does provide a lot of details of like names and dates, but not a lot of like flowery stuff beyond that. So it's a lot of this person was born then and this person died then. Right. Um, so we know that, again, she was the daughter of a brickmaker. Her parents were tried and hung for witchcraft. Um, she moved to uh, Kentish Town um, and became a mother at the age of 16. Sort of like 16, 17. It's probably pretty average for that time, yeah? Um, yeah, I don't think it would have been necessarily unusual, right. but it was like, it was noted. So I'm not entirely sure, but um, she, uh, the father and, and her partner, now it's not known whether or not they were married, but it was also like pretty common then um, that working class women wouldn't necessarily get married. They'd form a, like a partnership, but they wouldn't necessarily have to have like a big religious ceremony in the 1600s. Okay. So, um, the father, however, of this child was hung for sheep stealing. So, um, he, yeah. (laughs) So they weren't together terribly long. (sighs) Um, there's no mention after that of what happens to the child. So, 
I don't know like if she kept the child or not, but there's no history records of the child. Now, after, so her first husband, uh, like by all counts, a decent person except for he's hung for sheep stealing. Now, sorry to interrupt yeah. you really quick. Was Bingham her maiden name, or was that the name of her first husband? Uh, partner? I think that's her maiden name okay. because his name was George uh, something else, not Bingham. Okay, okay. okay. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so I think that's her maiden name because she then partners up or gets married uh, two more times. And or two or three more times, and basically the uh, the next people that she chooses to be with are not good men. Oh. So, uh, one of them beats her, and mysteriously disappears. Now that could he could have just literally moved away, and nobody sure. would know because that was also like not terribly uncommon. Uh, there's no record of him like foul play or dying. He's just he's gone. Uh, w- another one also not very kind beats her uh, and he dies from poison oh uh, and then the third which really got her in trouble because at this point um, Jenny had uh, become a bit of a fortune teller and a healer so she had um, become a midwife and a herbalist and then herbalists then were also um, brewers um, so she ran a coach house which was very common so wayfaring strangers kind of thing if you needed a place to stay while you were like maybe on your way from Holloway to London kind of thing or vice versa you would stay at her inn um, which uh, was in Kentish Town, now known as Camden. Mm-hmm. And um, she would also be the person where, like, young women would come to her for um, for advice, for medicine. Um, she, she was a well-respected, well-regarded person within the community. And herbalists were well... Um, were well versed in poisons because you needed to know, like, right. you know, what, like, how, like, deadly nightshade from last up, uh, last episode. Yeah, um, you you need to know the good and the bad. Right, exactly. So this third person uh, was where she got in trouble because his body was found burnt to a crisp in her oven. Oh fuck! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she said uh, that he was afraid of her. And he hid in the oven to, like, avoid her and must have just burnt up. (laughs) So, yeah. So they tried her for murder and she got away with it. Oh. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. So, (laughs) fucking rock on. Uh, She she wasn't going to have any of his shit. So... One dude just disappears. One dude dies from poison. One dude gets burnt up in an oven. She's like quickly losing her patience. With I men. mean, good for her, man. <laughs> After having been abused by so many men before, I'd be losing my patience too. Yeah, like, 100%. Oh, no, sir. You're not doing that to me again. 100%. Uh-uh. But here's where the cool folklore part of it comes in. So, she, again, she's she's sort of known as a witch, and this is now getting into Puritan times where, um, you know, she's also getting older in years, mm-hmm. and um, the idea of like an old crone. She was like an established, self-reliant woman. Um, She had sort of stepped away from tradition. She was certainly going against the grain of Puritan beliefs. Absolutely. And so she, like, in general, the societal view of somebody like her uh, was turning against her. 
So people after that third time um, and her getting acquitted of murder, people were like none too pleased with her existence. Um, but she just really leaned into it and she kept a black cat that was her only friend. She sewed bats onto her cloak. She wow. <laughs> she bred caterpillars for the silk and they lived in her hedge outside of her um, outside of her inn. So her house was spooky as fuck. <laughs> and uh, and it was said on the night that she died, the devil entered her house and was never seen uh, exiting. And when they found her body the next morning, um, she died next to her crutch and her pot full of herbal uh, teas brewing. And she was uh, she was so stiff that they had to like break her limbs to remove her from the building. Wow. So all of this, she was like, so there was something about the story that really resonated with me personally because I think she just was like a pure, like, fuck you, witch. And she, uh, but she did it like also from a place of like, again, trying to be self-reliant and like wanting to like help people with her knowledge. And her place was a place where like, didn't matter what your reputation was. You could like come to this coach house and, you know, get a drink or get help. As long as you were kind to her, she would help you kind of thing. Right. Um, but her cottage was, um, on the place where an inn was then later built, um, these, uh, 1800s and for right up into the eighties, it was a bar and an inn, um, known as mother Redcap, And then in the eighties, um, it changed its name to the underworld. Cool. So now it's the, uh, the, the actual underworld is where her place was, but that is attached to the world's end pub. And I got a chance to go there when we were in London last November, and it said that she haunts the underworld. That's super so cool. I did a tarot reading. Yeah. Yeah. And I have never, I've had some like trippy tarot reads, but every card I laid down was about, like, was about trusting my instinct, falling into my own gift, being a strong and powerful fortune teller, and like, basically like an older presence passing the torch and imbuing knowledge and i like i cried i i truly believe jenny bingham was there that day and gave me like a pat on the shoulder it was like i see you you are also a witch that is so cool you guys brought me back a shirt from that that bar the underworld yeah we uh, did and it's my favorite shirt. And, but the strangest thing happened with it, and it shrunk in the oddest way. <laughs> like, usually for me, they'll shrink up. So it's, like, a little bit too short. This one shrunk in the shoulders. So <laughs> I had to cut the sleeves off because when I was wearing it, it looked like it was made for a doll because the shoulders were, like, almost by my neck. <laughs> J- Jenny wanted you to look more punk. <laughs> I guess, but it still, like, it still has the length, so I'm like, cool, man. So, yeah, so a little... <laughs> A little witchcraft for our fourth inductee, a true, a true witch, a true badass, a little bit of a spooky ghost, Jenny Bingham. Jenny Bingham, you're rad as fuck. Mother red cat, mother damnable. <laughs> <laughs> I want to have a cool name like that. <laughs> All right. We are at, at the end. Yeah, we're at our pussy number five. Pussy number five, our fifth inductee. Yeah, this is actually a group of women. Ooh, that's right. We'll do groups and bands and covens 
and harems, whatever we got to do. Yeah. So our fifth pussy for our inaugural Pussy Hall of Fame, the Night Witches. The Night Witches. Okay, I know so little about the Night Witches, and I'm so excited. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> these, so these, I was reading about the Night Witches maybe a couple of years ago. And recently, Engineer Dan told me that he got a comic book called The Night Witches. And I was like, oh, is it about these? And he was like, yes. And so I got so psyched. And I'm really, really excited to talk about them because they were just so cool. So The Night Witches made up the 588th Night Bomber Regiment, um, all women, in the Soviet Air Force during World War II. Uh, so they were Russians. Yes. Dope. Yes. Um, they were nicknamed the Night Witches or the Noct Texan by Nazis, by the Nazis. Dude, the Not Texan? Yeah. That's fucking metal. Not yeah. knock, knocks, knocks, knocks. No, knocked, knocked, knocked. Like, <laughs> I can't. I can't. No, knock. <laughs> it sounds metal. Knock, Texan. Um, because of the sound, they were nicknamed that because of the sound that their planes made when they were gliding in to bomb them. So they would essentially like idle the planes, idle the engines, and the sound of the planes was akin to that of like a sweeping broom. Fucking cool. Right? Really these, cool. These chicks were so badass. So this gal, Marina Ruskova, right? She was the first female navigator in the Soviet Air Force. So she's this navigator during World War II, and she's getting peti- or she's getting letters from like thousands of letters from women who want to join in aiding the war in some way. And a lot of it had to do with because they were they had husbands or family members who were fighting and had been killed or whatever, and they wanted to do their part. So Marina petitioned Stalin. She was like, I want to form an all-female fighting squadron. Let's do this. Cough break. Cough break. Cough Sorry. Button. Oh, man. I think that was my first one on air. Um, <clears throat> so Stalin's like, cool. Let's do it. And on October 8th in 1941, he gave orders to deploy three all-female Air Force units. Super cool. Yes. So... Not only would they fly missions and drop bombs, but they would also return fire. So this is like the first, this is essentially the first military to allow women on the front lines. Oh. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, because otherwise women were like, were nurses and dispatchers and. Exactly. They would like load cargo. They would nurse. They would do other stuff. They would still be involved in the military, but they weren't in combat right so this is the first of it um they faced tons of sexual harassment and criticism the 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 male um army military guys what are they called soldiers soldiers (laughs) (laughs) the the, the word you're looking for i think is soldier (laughs) yeah soldiers they they were they were like what is going on women don't belong in the war women belong you know Doing women things, whatever. Making babies. So these gals, they faced so much bullshit. The equipment that they were handed, they were hand-me-downs from the men. Like, down to the shoes. 
these shoes were way too big for them. They would rip apart their bedding and stuff them so that they could walk in them, so that they would fit their feet. The uniforms were way too big, even down to the planes, dude. The planes were these, like, they were these biplanes, and they were made out of plywood and canvas. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. They were, they were so small, so shitty. Um, they were crop dusters. Oh, okay. Crop yeah. dusters that the military had acquired to use as training planes. I like that Stalin's like, yeah, let's have three, like, three squadrons of women. Here's some shit. Whatever. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think that they didn't really have the funding to provide them with much else. But, like, they worked with what they had. Fair. Um, these play, these these women, they didn't have parachutes. They didn't have radar. They didn't have guns or radio. Instead, they used um, rulers and stopwatches and flashlights and pencils, um, maps and compasses. This was how they, like, navigated through these dark night skies. These planes were so small and so slow and so shitty. Um, and they couldn't carry a lot of weight either. There was no, like, the the area where the pilot sits. Two people could sit in these planes. There was, like, a pilot seat and then a navigator seat. Yeah. They were exposed to the elements. So in the frigid, like, Russian nights, they had no protection. They were screwed. Woof. Like, it was so cold. They also they had to fly at a lower altitude, too, because of the weight of the bombs. They could only carry two bombs at a time. Wow. So some nights they would do, like, 18 runs a night. Holy shit. Yeah, dude. It was crazy. But the way that they, like, went about these missions were super cool. They would go in packs, right? Um, I'm not sure the number of planes that they would use, but these the, like, first group of planes would go in, maybe a few, and they would go in as, like, um, as bait. So they would go in as bait, and they would, uh, like, toss a flare down. Okay at the bomb target and it would attract spotlights and give them much needed illumination <laughs> That's so because they didn't smart. have lights on the planes. <laughs> right. Um, so then the, like the bomber plane would swoop in after them and they would idle the engines. So the Nazis had very little warning that this was happening. Like you have the bait planes flying in, this happens. And then this dark black plane is just gliding along in the night Boom. Bomb. Cool. You dead. (laughs) So crazy. So crazy. These women were so, so brave. I'm looking at my notes right now. Sorry, you guys. German theories at their success. This is kind of funny. So the first one is that they were criminals sent to the front lines as punishment. Like criminals that were really good at stealing. Okay. <laughs> so this is like so this would be the Nazis being like why would the like why were these bombers so successful? Yeah. And they were coming up with these aloof bullshit theories. Yeah, yeah. The cool. second one is my favorite. It uh, they were they were given injections that gave them night vision. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> awesome, right? Yeah, of course. That makes sense. So uh, <laughs> So couldn't awesome. possibly <laughs> <laughs> couldn't possibly be badass women pilots in crop dusters. So so awesome. Um, over the like almost three years that they flew, um, they threw more than they flew more than thirty thousand missions. Holy shit! They lost 
only 30 pilots, which, yes, is a lot, but given, like... That's... No, that's a fucking... Ama- that many missions and only 30? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, 24 of the pilots were awarded the title of Hero of the Soviet Union. And unfortunately, Marina Raskova, the woman who, like, started it all, she she died her first time being sent to the front line. Her, oh, really? Her wow. plane never made it there. Um, so that's kind of a bummer. Buried the lead there. <laughs> yeah. Three days after their final mission, Germany surrendered officially. Oh, wow. Yeah. So um, they were active for a good long time. Yeah. They were around um, their first, I wrote down dates. Their first successful, their first mission, and it was successful, was June 28th, 1942. Their last mission was May 4th, 1945. Wow. Marina died on January 4th in 1943, so she didn't make it too long. But it continued on without her, in her spirit, I am sure. The regiment disbanded six months after the end of World War II. And now this is kind of fucked up. The Victory Day Parade in Moscow was held and these gals weren't included because they decided not the women but the rest of the military decided that their planes were too slow (sighs) i mean i'm like i'm not surprised but it's so fucking bullshit (laughs) (laughs) it is it is this is why this is why they need their own pussy hall of fame i agree i totally agree marina when she was starting this she she came up with 12 commandments for ooh, ooh. the women. And I couldn't really find a lot on what the commandments exactly were. What I did read was that a lot of them had to do with like, um, you know, the art of war and, and, sure. and that sort of thing. But the very first commandment was remember, be proud. You are a woman. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> And I just think that's such a cool note to end it on. That's that's fucking perfect. Love it. Yeah. Celebratory music for the <laughs> night, witches. <laughs> to the Noctexan. Thank you so, for paving the way for women in the military. So fucking cool. Yeah. Well, that is our first five inaugural inductees. To the Pussy Hall of Fame. I can't wait to do this again. I learned a shit ton about uh, some really rad women, but... Yeah, we have so many pussies to cover. Man, if if we take nothing away from this, I think be proud to be a woman is the fucking best one. I think so, too. I think so, too. Awesome. Well, we'll do this again if you have nominees for Pussy Hall of Fame, drop us a line. Let us know. But maybe do a little research and reading on your own. Check out a Julia Child's clip, listen to a whole song, hug your grandma, or send them a nice letter or phone call. Remember the pussies in your life, because after all, it is International Women's Day this week. It is. Sunday. We have a shout-out before we leave you today. Shout out to Britties. Britties. You left us a very nice message on Apple Podcast, and that was rad of you. We really appreciate and love it when you leave us, uh, when all our listeners leave us nice little messages uh, and and shout out some reviews, and we really appreciate them. We always read them. So shout out to Britties. You're badass femme. Fucking love you. 
I believe Thank you so much. I believe we owe Birdies uh, a couple of really nice oh. burps. God, I'm f- I'm done my beer. Chug oh, yours God. so I can chug God, some dude. too. Okay, hang on, hang on. <laughs> we owe you a burp, Birdies. Oh. Okay, let's see if I can get this. Ter- oh, here it comes. Uh-oh. Oh, that was so good. Uh-oh. Double burp. <laughs> oh, I don't know if I'm gonna Uh-oh. get one because you need to do highlight. Uh-oh. Oh, dude. Uh-oh. <laughs> that was that was sort of a weird trailing burp. So Bernie's called us like out because our our first few episodes we burped all the time and we've stopped burping. I think that's for two reasons. The first reason is um, we were interrupting each other with the burps, which was kind of harshing our, our mellow overall. <laughs> it, like it, burping is fine. We are burp positive. We are a burp yeah. positive podcast. We are burp positive people. But we were interrupting each other. So we're burp positive, but we are polite. Uh, and then the second reason is we started recording during the day. So we were drinking less. True. So True. less drinking tea and coffee and recording a podcast, less burps. True. Yeah. So those burps are for you, Britties. Enjoy them. We love you. Well, to all our listeners, to all our pussies, to all the femmes out there, we love you. We can't wait for next week. Hope you enjoyed our second ever Femisode. Until next time, no pervs, no Nazis. Totally. Exo, <laughs> exo. <laughs>